0: merch button click on that it'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey on the swag that i'm using it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear sports history network and my favorite podcaster the sports history network store shop there today in 1932 eddie egan became the only person in olympic history to win a gold medal at both the winter and summer games this is the same year the hero of her story was born However, unlike the crazy preparation required to be the only person in history to win a gold medal in the Winter and Summer Olympics, the hero of this story was known to break all the rules. Let's just say that the hero of the first Super Bowl strolled into that game with a hangover. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. Great Scott. Now as we step off our DeLorean, the date is January 1st, 1967, and we are at Dallas, Texas. This is the 1966 NFL Championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Now, normally, this would determine the victor of the NFL, which it did, for the NFL, that is. And it would normally be the last game in the season. However, this year was different. You see, this time, the victor would trek to Los Angeles to square against the AFL champion, the Kansas City Chiefs in the first ever Super Bowl, known then as the AFL-NFL World Championship game. So, of course, the Packers would beat the Cowboys And that hype train was on. And although the AFL-NFL merger was going on for a little bit, this would be the first time the fans would have concrete evidence of a merger. It was going to be a game to answer that question. Could the AFL really compete with the NFL? Well, 65 million people watching broadcasts on two networks. The largest sports audience in history was just about to find out. And Leading up to the game, Jimmy the Greek gave the Packers 13 points, so they were just given no respect to the Kansas City Chiefs because this was the vaunted Vince Lombardi's Green Bay Packers. And of course, they were favored. And this is the biggest game of Vince Lombardi's career. Now, of course, it wasn't expected that they were going to be given a fighting chance as the Kansas City Chiefs or anything. They just determined that it was the Green Bay Packers all the way. But Wellington Mara, one of the owners of you know the New York Giants, and among other league owners, they sent him letters and telegrams basically stating that, you know, he holds the honor of the NFL in his hands. And this was the first time where in seven years, because AFL had started back in 1960, where Vince Lombardi's Packers could claim what would be an undisputed world championship. Because now they would not just defeat the entire NFL, they would have a chance to defeat the AFL victor as well. So the location, though, it wasn't determined until six weeks before the game. We're going to play this game in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And this game, like I said, biggest of Lombardi's career. Not because it was supposed to be the toughest, but because of the weight that was on his shoulders. Think about it. You know, if you had a bunch of brothers and you're the older brother and you have a, you know, a group of friends that you play ball with in the backyard, but then your younger brother and his friends want to play and All of a sudden, you got some people watching, and you're like, "Wait a second! We we better win this thing, you know? We we can't let our little brother's friends beat us." That's almost what they felt like if the Kansas City Chiefs would have come into town and took out the Green Bay Packers. But it was crazy to think because the Super Bowl, this first one, which was the AFL-NFL World Championship, it didn't even sell out. The attendance was sixty-one thousand nine hundred and forty-six fans. So you know, watching the video, it showed you know those extra 32,000 empty seats, it was clear as day that the stadium wasn't even close to being filled. And I saw a History.com article that described how a month earlier, more than 72,000 fans were in attendance for a Packers versus the Rams game. So you gotta figure, more fans, when it wasn't even the, I'm using quotes, Super Bowl, it doesn't make sense. But they said that complaints of high ticket prices were you know, run a myth and everything, because they didn't want to pay this high. This is what I'm going to tell you. $12 to pay to go see the game. And 12 bucks. Now, putting it in our little DeLorean calculator here, 2018, 2019 for that matter, that'd be 90 bucks. The highest ticket price was 90 bucks to go to a Super Bowl. Just imagine that today. You couldn't even go in and use restroom for 90 bucks. But this showed what the apprehension was at the time, but then there was still that excitement and then the success that the NFL would end up achieving. And there were two different things that came from Harvey Fromer's book. It was called When It Was Just a Game, Remembering the First Super Bowl. And in this book, it described a a time when a thief robbed the Kansas City Chiefs safe before the game and took all the money, but left 2,000 tickets. Like, "Mm, uh, whatever, man, I don't need these things. Ain't no good to me. But there was an upside also come from the book where it stated that because of these seats being open, it potentially saved some lives. Because just after the opening kickoff, a huge rock iron hand from the scoreboard plunged 50 feet below. And there wasn't any fans there. But if there was, man, this would have been deadly. So, football guys looking up for us, I don't know. Didn't matter. Because it was getting close to game time. And this game that was going to happen, it was a show. It was like a carnival-type spectacle. They had pigeons sent to fly off in halftime and rocket men flying around. Huge marching bands. They showed these two rocket guys, you know, they flew up, kind of spun around in the air a little bit and stuff, and they came down, they shook hands when landing, maybe a symbol of a unity between the AFL and the NFL. I don't know. But the game would end up being simulcast on CBS and NBC. Because if you remember, the NFL and AFL, they had separate contracts with those various networks. And each network would pay $1 million to air the game. And this would end up being the only joint broadcast Super Bowl game in NFL history. But going back to that, you know, the the attendance not being sold out, I mean, that's a problem. Fans in the L.A. area, they couldn't watch the game. You know, they said that 15 million fans in a 75-mile radius, they had a blackout. You remember that old blackout rule? Yeah, well, the Super Bowl didn't sell out, so they couldn't watch the game, even though it was in their backyard. They had, a, you know, finagle coat hangers and duct tape, and you do what you gotta do, man, just get this game on. But getting to the game, on the field. Now, like I said, tension was higher than any game before, and part of Vince Lombardi's pre-game speech from the field went as such. Thousands of people here in the stands and millions of people on television. Everyone looking in all the speculation to see what kind of a game the Green Bay Packers are gonna play today, right? I want you to be proud of your profession, and it's a great profession. You will be proud of this game and you could do a great deal for football today, a great deal for all the players in the league and everything else. You go out and play this ball game like I know you can play it. And that's something that they would go do. However, this speech and amongst all the tension, the Packers at the beginning, now they play tense. Now they were more scared to not mess up at the beginning than anything else. So the Packers offense now, even though it was head and shoulders above the Chiefs defense, it seemed on par at the beginning of the game. And these Chiefs, their defense, they put up a fight, even though the end score might not reflect it. I saw a play where Buck Buchanan, you know, he made a play. Then after the play was done, he tossed Jim Taylor to the ground and the ref came in to stop it and he kind of like pushed the ref out of the way too. Like, you know, we belong here. We, we're not taking no stuff. And then the Packers, on the third play of the game, they lost one of their star players. Boyd Dollar suffered a shoulder injury. And coming in to replace him was 34-year-old Max McGee. Now first things first, this dude only caught four passes in that entire NFL season. But this day would be his Super Bowl. On the day of the first Super Bowl, so it was fitting. He caught seven passes for 138 yards and two touchdowns. The first pass that he caught, man, it was way behind him. He had this one-handed catch, and he ran it in for a long touchdown. The video announcer, he said that he did his best Willie Mays impersonation. You know, meant even more back then, because it was near the time of when Willie Mays made that incredible over-the-head basket catch of the 1954 World Series, which was one of the most famous catches ever by an outfielder. And center Bill Curry, though, before the game, speaking of this uh, Mr. Max McGee character, He talked of a speech from when Lombardi would give to the crew about the curfew. He basically raised it from $2,500 and then he added a warning. Now here's Bill Curry's explanation of the warning from Lombardi. Oh, and there's one more thing. I want you to understand. If you break curfew, you will never play another league game in the National Football League. I promise. I'll personally see to it. Bill Curry, he's all like, yeah, I didn't even believe that even. Max McGee didn't have the audacity to sneak out after Lombardi made that speech. Apparently, he broke curfew all the time, and that's why I'm bringing this up, because there's a kicker to this story. Bart Starr also told of a story which became legend within the Super Bowl ranks of the first Super Bowl ever, about how the night before the Super Bowl, Max McGee he was out all night. You know, he said that he was a fun-loving kind of McGee, and he took advantage of all the Hollywood nightlife and. There's a quote kind of explaining what happened in the morning where Bart sorry he's an early riser, and it went as such. And here we are, the first Super Bowl game, and when I go down at 6.30 in the morning to pick up a paper, on game day, off to the left the front entrance of the hotel, I see Max McGee coming through the front door. He's coming through the front door at 6.30 in the morning, and I'm thinking, oh my god, this man's been out all night, on the eve of the biggest game in our career. But like I said, he was a backup. He had no intentions of playing. And boy, Dowler himself even recalled the meeting that, you know, before the game and the, uh, the sidelines, they always would get together as he ends. And, you know, he uh, talks about how Max went up to him and said this. You know, Max says, whatever you do, don't go down today. I said, what do you mean, Max? Max says, I was out all night and had a few more drinks than I should have, and I didn't get much sleep. So just don't go down. But like I said, Boyd Dowler did go down after the third play, and the rest was Super Bowl history. That old man, with a hangover, became a Super Bowl legend. But getting back to the entire game. Overall, the Packers' defensive line was just too big, too fast, too strong for the Kansas City Chiefs' offensive line. The Chiefs would only gain 72 yards rushing. The leading rusher for the Chiefs was their quarterback, Len Dawson. But that came from three scambrels, you know, 24 yards, running for his life. The play action in the second quarter did work a little bit for the Chiefs, though, leading to their only touchdown of the game. After that, Packers would adjust, and they quit falling for that play action, and then they would ratchet up the blitz in the second half, causing even more havoc. They broke up passes, brutal tackles all over the field. The Chiefs were officially welcomed into the NFL. But there was really one play that was discussed that made a huge difference the Packers' Willie Wood intercepted a pass and ran it back 50 yards to inside the five-yard line. It was kind of cool seeing these old videos from like the 60s and things. And, you know, of course, it's not the best cameras and it's not the best kind of footage. But, you know, they had uh, sidelines and it was uh, Willie Wood talking about his interception. He says, well, I thought I was going to go all the way in that daggone thing. Then someone asked him if someone flicked his toe on the play. And he said, no, someone got me from behind, you know. I was just undecided whether I should change field or not. But speaking of the rest of the Green Bay Packers offense, Bart Starr, now he had a great game, but it was a little bit rough beginning goes. He would end up with the 16 for 23 for 250 yards passing and two touchdowns with one interception. Now the stats, of course, were not all. He led successful drives throughout the game, earning him the first MVP of the Super Bowl for all time. They would end up beating the Chiefs 35-10, 35-10, to 10, and become the first Super Bowl victors. But going back to that play that kind of turned the tides there in the second half, the Kansas City Chiefs head coach, Hank Stram, after the game at the presser, he kind of gave this quote deciding that, you know what, this is what turned the game. He said, I thought we played well in the first half, and I thought we got off to a good start in the second half. But I think the interception kind of, on that third and five situation, seemingly changed the personality of the ball game star I thought all afternoon was good at picking up the big third down play. I don't know what their game plan was, but it was very evident they were working on our left side. And to bring it all home again, like I said, this was the first time in seven years that Vince Lombardi's Packers could actually claim an undisputed world championship because they had officially taken down the champs of the American Football League, which now had been converged into the National Football League. Then taking a little bit of a side step towards the fans in the stands, it was kind of interesting to see the video because they were all wearing their Sunday best. I mean, I saw more suits and ties and dress hats in the stands and no jerseys or anything like that than you'd see at a church. I mean, there's got to be a separate episode on that sometime, probably, you know, like the transformation of the fans. But I suggest that you watch the video from the old NFL Films Vault that I put a link to in the show notes. It's awesome to see how they did it back in the day, you know, including the goofy music, the awkward announcer, and just the stuff they, you know, thought was cutting edge at the time. Which, by the way, you can get to the show notes for your podcast player or head to the footballhistorydude.com. Also, I ask that you subscribe for free to this show by mashing that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest-off-the-press episodes each and every week. And overall, the Super Bowl, or the first one ever, was a success. They would never have to worry about, you know, selling out the stadium again because and that ain't going to happen, you know, with the Super Bowl. But the networks also reaped some rewards. Uh, CBS and NBC, like I said, they were the two that simulcast for the, the first Super Bowl. And for CBS, Ray Scott and Jack Whitaker were the play-by-play guys, and Frank Gifford was the analyst. And they showed that they had a 40.8 rating. On the NBC side of things, Kurt Gowdy called the play-by-play and Paul Christman was the analyst, but they didn't show a rating for it. Well, let's kind of, you know, shift this thing to the upcoming Super Bowl, which no doubt will be sold out. Got this new fancy stadium, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. It's going to be played on February 3rd at 6.30 Eastern. It's going to be between the old-timers and the young guns. We've got the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams. Going back to Los Angeles. Like I said, the first one ever was played in Los Angeles. Has nothing to do with this. And something else that really doesn't have anything to do with it is there have been 4,014,733 fans that have attended all the previous Super Bowl games combined. The largest crowd was 103,985 for Super Bowl fourteen at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. But this game, this one, this year, is going to be aired on CBS. And at the end, as we've discussed in a previous episode, for all the players on the winning team, they will earn $118,000 and all the players on the losing team will get a $59,000 check. A total of $9,000,000 or over $9,000,000 for personnel between the two teams. By comparison, in this first Super Bowl, the Green Bay players, they earned $15,000 and the Chiefs earned $7,500. At the time, that was the largest single game team share in history of sports. It's also, if you break it down, it's actually pretty close to inflation for purchasing power to what it is nowadays. But with that being said, the most coveted prize and each year, the Super Bowl trophy is awarded to the winning team. The football on the trophy is a regulation-sized silver football. The trophy stands 20.75 inches tall and weighs 107.3 ounces, with a valuation in excess of $25,000. Before Super Bowl V, the trophy was named after a legendary coach that helped make the game as successful as any coach in NFL history. That trophy was, and still is, named the Lombardi Trophy. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets about the first Super Bowl in NFL history. Next week, we celebrate the 50th episode of the podcast. And by then, the 2018 season will come to a close, and we get to focus on the upcoming 100th season of the NFL. Now, for this upcoming Super Bowl, my prediction for the game is the Patriots 59, the Rams 57, for a combined score of 116. Now, that would break the NFL record total points scored in a game of 114 back on November 7th of 1966. Unfortunately, that would mean those daggone Patriots are going to win again as I am rooting for the Rams. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to the thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.